to be studying verses 8 through 15. We read verses 1 through 17 last week, and we focused on verses 1 through 7, and we're going to pick it up and uh, focus on verses 8 through 15 here this morning. So uh, I titled this series, as I shared with you, Made Right, because uh, that's what it's all about. Paul is sharing what some would call the fourth gospel and uh, about how we become right with God. And it's not by works, which any man can boast. It is the gift of God. It's the righteousness of God that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, being heaven bound, being right with God is not something we do. It's something God has done for us when he sent his only begotten son to die upon a cross. And so I titled this series Made Right. And today, uh, again, for the message title, I, I titled it, Thank God, Thank You. And uh, one of the, the great blessings is we look at the Apostle Paul's life, and you can see the transformation uh, that has taken place as you study your Bible. And uh, it's good for us to look at this. And uh, I always enjoy as we just take our time and, and land on verses and, and then dig deep into them how the Holy Spirit uh, ministers to our heart. And I have no doubt that this morning, uh, as we dig into this, uh, there's much that the Lord would uh, really minister to each and every one of our hearts. Those of you that are here, those of you that are home, uh, but we are blessed that you're here. And so would you bow your heads with me? We'll, we'll pray and then we'll jump into this this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your love, for your life. We thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. We thank you for Lord, the Bible, we don't worship the Bible, we worship the God of the Bible, but Lord, thank you that you've given us your word and you've had it written down for us. Thank you that it doesn't change, <laughs> that it, God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we can come back to this again and again and again. And uh, Lord, every time that we need hope or we need mercy and we need grace. And uh, Lord, if those that are here like me, it's a day today event. Uh, Lord, we need you so desperately. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the forgiveness that's made possible because of the cross. And so as we, we study your word today, uh, Lord, we don't want to just plow through it and just say, hey, I went to church today. It's not religious duty. Uh, Lord, it's, it's a relationship. You're here in this place. You said wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that there you are in the midst of it. You love when your people come together. Uh, I love when we read through the bulletin and we read about all the different events and activities that go on in the life of a church. Um, God, it always involves get togethers. And Father, I thank you, uh, Lord, for these that are here, that Lord, getting together is important. Um, Lord, this life is short and thank you, uh, Lord, for the relationships uh, that you afford us through uh, the body of Christ, where we can come together and minister to each other that we can give and we can receive, we can share. And so, Lord, we do that uh, today. We, we come uh, with need and recognize that, um, Lord, there's those that are around us that have need. And so we pray that you would pour out your gifts, Lord, through your church today, that you would help us to minister to each other. Uh, I know for some already this morning, just a simple word you know, that someone spoke to them, just a word of encouragement or or gratitude just or appreciation or just care and love and concern how uh, something that was already said uh, by someone this morning will stick within our heart and we'll think about those things and so lord thank you that you've given us the ability to minister to one another and so lord we together collectively we, we seek to minister to you with our heart with our mind and we ask you lord to reveal yourself to us afresh today and god that you would change us lord God, that you would make us more like you. We recognize that, God, we are sinners and you are a savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for your patience and your kindness, Lord, towards us. And God, may those things that are uh, such wonderful, wonderful qualities of who you are, God, as we look at the Apostle Paul's life and we begin to see that, again, God, what you have begun in him that you were faithful to complete that god it would give us hope this morning that you who have begun a good work in us lord are faithful to complete it too and so lord help us to not resist you and the things that god you would desire for us lord if you call us to repent today of attitudes or actions in our life may our pride not rise up within us may we humble ourselves before you and 
God, receive all that you have for us. And Lord, thank you that it's not just for us, but Lord, sometimes we receive to go to give. Uh, Lord, we're in this world to, to make disciples. And so Lord, teach us things that God, we can share with others, whether it's people who've never heard about your love or people who are struggling in their faith or uh, just in life in general. And uh, so Lord, equip us, Lord. Uh, it's one of the great pleasures we have in studying your word together that you equip us for the work of ministry. And so we open our hearts to that today. And we pray that, Lord Jesus, you would be glorified and that you'd be magnified as we pray. In your amazing and wonderful name, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. So, you know, last week, like I said, we, we started this series, uh, I titled it Made Right. And in it, you know, the Apostle Paul, he lays out for us the gospel. You know, it's like I said, it's, it's called, rightly so, the, the fourth gospel. He uses this term gospel some 60 times in this book. And uh, again, it's not something, you know, like when you think about the Apostle Paul's life, it's such good news. I mean, such good news that he dedicates his entire life to the proclamation of it. You know, I was thinking back, um, you know, there's all different ways to try to express this. You know, um, we just came through, you know, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And, and, and I think about, like, what would have happened, you know, like, just put yourself in this position for a second. Say on, on December 10th, you learned uh, of this plot that terrorists were going to crash planes into the World Trade Center and into the, the Pentagon, you know. Um, and you knew that that was going to take place. And you, you go, what, what would you have done? I want you to think about that for a second. What would you have done? Would it, would it have, you know, caused you just to pray? And you said, oh, God, you know, please, you know, stop it. I'm just one person, you know, really, you know, what could I do? Um, would it compel you to get on an airplane and, and go to New York and, you know, or to the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. and, you know, stand outside a, a building and, you know, with fervency and urgency, you know, tell everybody who is coming to work that day, you know, the bullhorn saying, you know, turn around and repent, you know, right? Repent means to turn, right? To repent, turn around, turn around, don't go in. If you go in, you know, death is imminent, you know? And I think if we, uh, if you're like me and you think about that, you know, long that you'd go, yeah, I definitely, I wouldn't have just sat at home and watched it happen on the news. I would have wanted to do something about it. And, and you think about that and you go, well, we, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know on, on September the 10th what was going to take place. But we all sit here today, on this day, and we know exactly what's going to happen in human history. There's coming a day when the Lord will return from heaven to this earth and he will judge the nations. That is appointed under man, as the Bible says, to die and then to face God. And we have this truth. We have this, and it's good news, isn't it? I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, it is good news. It, it, you know, we deserve to die. You know, I'll walk you through that in just a moment here. And yet God has made it possible for us to live. And he has saved us. It wasn't that I was seeking God. It was that God was seeking me, as I shared with you last week. Like the Apostle Paul, he said, you know, the, the book of Galatians, you know, from my mother's womb, you know, that I was called. And, and you think about... Paul saying that, you know, from my mother's woman, you go, wait a second, he was a Pharisee. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor of the church. I mean, he was, he was standing by, he was actually calling for the death of Christians. And you go, and yet God had called him from his mother's womb. And you go, what Paul began to understand is that God is sovereign. We don't understand a lot of what God does, but we know that everything God does, he does for his glory. And so here's the Apostle Paul now in his life, and he's, he's you know, reflecting on you know, the goodness of God. And I, and I look at this, and, and as he begins this gospel you know, of, of what we call the book of Romans here, and his desire is you know, for every single person that he comes in contact with to be saved. I, I know for myself, how many uh, came to know Christ? Um, someone shared with you by a show of hands what we would call the Romans Road. You, you recall that? The Romans Road. That's how you came. Someone sat you down and walked you through the Romans Road. Is there anybody here at all that you, re, you remember that? For myself, when I was in college, I was at San Diego State, and I was walking across campus one day, and it was one of those things where 
I was in the midst of being ministered to by a guy who was involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And that's really what, you know, I, I credit the Lord of reaching my, my life was through, through athletics and through football and through Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But it was, I was walking across campus and there was a, a guy sitting there with a backpack on and, and he was giving out these little green books. And, and we, we were, though we were all the way, he was probably from here to that exit sign away from me on the other side of a, of a step. He was sitting on a, on a brick, kind of a little pillar at the bottom of the step. He was just leaning up against it. And uh, he was really talking to the people that were coming down. And I was on the other side going up. And there's about maybe five or six, maybe just like this, steps going up to the library. And uh, he looks at me and my eyes met his all the way from there. And he goes, hey, he goes, do you want one? And I said, sure. And uh, so I walk over there and he hands me this little green book. I didn't know what it was. I put it in my backpack and I took it home back to my apartment uh, and uh, that evening. And I was laying on my bed and I, and I opened it up and I thought, oh, this is a, it's a Bible. And, and it wasn't one of those things where I didn't go, oh, this is a Bible. It was, it was something that happened because I had someone who was planting seed and watering it with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And all of a sudden, I start looking at this. And, and I had owned a Bible. Um, I, I remember, you know, maybe the year before looking at the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs and thinking it was really cool. I really, I liked some of the, the, the proverbial statements, you know, in the book of Proverbs. They were, to me, they were like, spiritual fortune cookies. I mean, I'm just telling you, that's kind of how I, that's how I looked at it. It was like, oh, these are cool. And I remember writing some of them down. So I, I flipped to that right away and I was looking at some of those things. And then I flipped to the very back of this little Bible and it had, it said steps to peace with God. And I began to look at that and it was called the Romans road. The very thing that, like I said, as we, we look at this and how life-changing it is. And I remember it said this at the top of it. It said, the human problem. That was the very first thing. It said, number one, the human problem. And, and it had Romans 3.10. And it says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. And I remember as I read that, I went, yeah, I know I'm not. I'm not righteous. And then it had another verse of scripture right below it. It was Romans 3.23. And it said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it didn't really explain it, you know, but I did, it didn't need much explaining. I just, I realized, you know, yeah, I've, I, I've, missed, I've missed that mark. I, I know that, man, I know I'm a sinner. No, no one had to convince me. I knew in my heart, my heart condemned me. I didn't even need someone else to tell me. I, I knew that I was a miserable sinner. And yet when I looked at that, Romans 6.23 was the next verse. And it said, you know, after all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it said, and for the wages of sin is death. And, and again, I didn't need anybody to come into my room and to sit there with me and go, hey, Mike, do you understand this? It was like, I completely understood it. And yet, then it went on in that same verse in, in the second part of Romans 6, 23, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that got my attention because I was thinking the gift of God, because I thought up to that point, the way you get to heaven is by being good. I, I thought it was because you do the right things. And, I, and, and so getting to heaven seemed like it was actually virtually impossible for me because I knew that I wasn't good. So it was, there was my dilemma. How am I going to get to heaven when I know that I'm not good? You don't have to tell me that. I know that I'm not good. And so it had my attention. And I'm just, I go on to read it. And then it said the second thing. It said, humanity's hope. Humanity's hope. And it said in Romans 5.8 was the next verse. It said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't really understand it, but I was thinking, okay, so what that's saying is that God knows that I'm a sinner, and that's why Jesus died. Jesus died for sinners. And I thought, okay, right, that, that, that makes sense to me. And I thought, well, so what do you do now? And then it had a number three, and I love this. You know, everything was just pretty simple, laid out there, and it was just, and I'm talking about on the back of a little tiny Bible, you know, and it said, the sinner's response. 
And it talked a little bit about, in just a sentence or so, just, you know, that we have to personally respond. That we have to, in a sense, open our heart. We have to open our mind to God, and we must receive Him. I didn't really understand what that meant. I, I took that as I needed to acknowledge that God was a Savior and that I was a sinner, and I needed to humble myself before Him, and I needed to confess that I was a sinner to find forgiveness from God. And I remember laying there and started thinking about sins that I was committing that right then and there, and I began to say, God, you know, and I was, com I was committing that sin, and I, would, I was saying, God, I, forgive me for this. And it wasn't like somebody said, hey, you need to do this. It just began to happen. And I go, okay, I get it. And it said, then the next verse was Romans 10, 9, and 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And I remember saying it out loud. There was nobody else in the room, but I go, Jesus is Lord. Because I thought literally you had to say that. I mean, that's what I thought. I thought you got to say Jesus is Lord. So I said, Jesus is Lord. It says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. I went, I get it. It says, for with your heart that you believe and are justified, had no idea what justified meant. Came to learn later in simple terms, justified is just as if I'd never sinned. Wow. Talk about being blown away. Talk about good news. Just as if I'd never sinned. Wow. It says, and with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. And so I had some questions. So I was laying there in my bed and it said, verse 13 of Romans chapter 10, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I just started calling on the name of the Lord. I was like, God, I, 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 I want to be saved. I need to be saved. It was like the worst moments of my life. Um, you know, I'd shared, you know, I went to San Diego State to play football and the coach that recruited me got fired and I ended up, uh, you know, getting a different coach and, and he and I didn't hit it off. My position coach, I didn't even know really the head coach, but my position coach, uh, we didn't hit it off at all. And uh, next thing I know, you know, my life's dream since I was two years old, basically, my dad said, you know, I learned to throw a football before I could walk. Uh, and that was by his doing, not by mine. And my whole life, I thought, was to play football. So when I wasn't playing football, all of a sudden it was like, why do I, why am I even alive? What, what's, what is my purpose? What, what is my reason for existence? And, and I was basically in a tailspin. I mean, talk about depressed, talk about angry, talk about bitter, anything that you could be that was negative. That's what I was. And I remember just pouring my heart out to God and just like, God, I, I need to be saved. And then it talked about the fourth thing was the result of salvation. And it said this in Romans chapter five, again, verses one and two, it said, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then the last verse is the one that was so profound for me. That's why I've shared with you. It's one of my favorite chapters I think like many of you in all the Bible was Romans chapter eight, verse one. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no judgment any longer. You go, did I feel like I still deserve to be judged? Absolutely. But to grow in that knowledge, you know, that there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus, who... Paul would go on to say, who don't walk according to the flesh, but walk in the spirit. And he's going, but if you're in Christ, you don't walk according to the flesh any longer. You walk according to the spirit. And all of a sudden, wow, there's a peace. A peace that I read later on in the Bible. Don't you love that when you experience things with God and then you read about them in the Bible and it just, you know, it only just affirms it to know that there was a peace that surpasses even your own understanding that fills your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I go, man, it happened in that moment. That's why our testimonies are so powerful because the devil can question everything about your life, but he can't take away facts. And the fact was, I, I can tell you today, I, there's, I don't remember what I was wearing that day. I don't remember what kind of bedspread I had on my bed. I don't know what was it. I do, well, I can't take that back. I do know what was in my refrigerator because there was only like three things that were in the refrigerator. There was white bread, there was Miracle Whip, and cheese because that's what we ate every stinking 
day. Like when you're poor, you go, we would go to the grocery store and we would buy those packets of, of cheese and a jar of Miracle Whip and white bread. And we ate and then put salt on it. And we ate that. And so I do know that. But other than that, you go, but the devil, you know, as the book of Revelation says, we overcome the accuser by what? By the blood of the lamb and by what? The word of our testimony, right? And I know that that happened. I know that there was a day, there was a marked day. There was a marked moment in my life where I recognized that I was a sinner and that Jesus was a savior. And I confessed before God, before man, that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And God's word tells me, and by faith, to know that I'm saved. And then what happens with that? A peace, a peace. You know, when Paul talks about grace and peace, well, you can't experience the peace of God. That's why Paul always explains it that way. You have to experience the grace of God, right? Grace, we've talked about that, unmerited favor, right? You experience the grace of God. And when you do, what comes with it? The peace of God. Peace. Not just peace with God, but the peace of God. And so this, this book, like I said, you know, Paul wrote, you know, somewhere 55, 56, you know, AD, you know, not too long after you think about, you know, Jesus' death uh, upon the cross and the impact that this, you know, would have, you know, on the apostle Paul's life. It was so profound. I shared with you last week, you know, uh, St. Augustine, you think of, I, I shared, you know, every, every, not just one, not just two, not three, not four, not a handful, but every single major revival that has happened in the world has been connected to a study of the book of Romans. And you go, wow. And I know like for myself, I go, even to this day, do I desire revival for myself? Absolutely. Do I desire revival for you? Absolutely. And I look at this and I go back and I read, and you know, again, St. Augustine, I mean, you think about his impact on the church. You know, I mean, think about since the fourth century, I mean, his impact upon the church. He was converted to Christianity by reading just, you know, the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. He didn't read the whole Bible, the 13th chapter. Martin Luther, think about that, studying the writings of Augustine. You know, he came to an understanding of faith, you know, the 16th verse of, of chapter one. I mean, it spoke volumes to, to Luther's heart, you know, where it says that the, the righteous shall live by faith. I mean, and think about what happened, you know, with regard to Martin Luther, you know, the father of the Reformation. I mean, apart from the apostles, I mean, who's had the impact on the Protestant faith uh, more than Martin Luther? No one. All because of a, a, a deep study, not just a, a perusing, but a deep study of the book of Romans. John Bunyan, you know, I shared with you last week. He was there in a, in a Bedford jail. And again, he's reading over and over, you know, not just the book of Romans, but ultimately, you know, what ends up happening. Through studying the book of Romans, he ends up writing a book. We got to see the movie here, you know, was, what is it? You know, you think of A Pilgrim's Progress, right? And it was all impacted because of the book of Romans. John Wesley, again, reading the commentary, you know, on the book of Romans. Again, it says, and he found his heart strangely warmed out of what came out of this great evangelical awakening. You think about that, the impact of the book of Romans. And so here's Paul, you know, and I love how, you know, as we opened up this book last week and he begins with a greeting and he calls himself a doulos. You know, two thirds of the Roman empire were slaves. Two thirds of the people were slaves. To be called a doulos was, you know, probably the lowest term that you could, you could have for another human being. It was a tremendous insult. And yet here's the apostle Paul opening a letter to the people in Rome that he hasn't met in person, but has a strong desire to meet with them. And he tells them, he says, you know, but I want you to know, I'm a, I'm a bond servant of Christ. I'm a doulos. You know, again, I'm a, I'm a servant by choice and I'm a servant or a slave 
for my entire life. I'm not seeking to ever, you know, be separated, you know, from, from Jesus here. And again, you know, he calls, you know, this, what some would say is the greatest insult to be called the bondservant. For him, it's the highest calling. And I think Jesus echoed that, right, himself. Jesus said, the greatest amongst you shall be what? Your servant. Yeah, be your slave. And man, we, we struggle with that, you know, being a servant, you know, serving other people, you know, that can be such a, a difficult thing. And yet, Paul found his freedom. My prayer is that you found yours, not, not in, you know, in doing your own thing, but Paul found his freedom in becoming a slave. If you think about this, you know, the, the pursuit of life. It, it isn't freedom, but it's to find the right master. I shared with you, you know, before, and I shared with you last week, Bob Dylan, right? He, he wrote the song, you got to serve somebody, right? You're either going to serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord, but you're going to, every single one of us serves somebody. And, and it's important that we understand that. And so Paul, in, in his opening here, he's reminding us, you know, that, that, you know, again, the pursuit of our life isn't freedom. It's making sure that you are serving the right master because everyone serves somebody and you're not free. Mark my words. You are not free until you find the right master. And when you do, you'll experience exactly what the apostle Paul discovered himself. See, Paul, before his conversion, it's pretty safe to say that he was mastered by Judaism, right? Just study his life, you know? And, and so I shared with, you know, as the book unfolds, you know, you'll see it uh, basically, it's kind of a fourfold, you know, uh, outline of the book. It deals first and foremost with the wrath of God, then the grace of God, with the plan of God and the will of God. And, and I really do encourage you to take time and to really study this book. Don't, don't hurry through it, do word studies, uh, it's great to do a character study, like I said, of, of the life of Paul and grow in the knowledge of this because not just the fact that it's so rich, because it's so rich doctrinally. You know, uh, again, there's probably not a more profound work in the entire New Testament than the book of Romans, that when you comprehend it and you really truly understand it, that it is so freeing for you, that you begin to understand, you think, you know, things justification, like I said, you know, righteousness, you know, uh, all the things that, that God wants for us to comprehend and to know the freedom that we ultimately will have in Christ Jesus. Uh, it, it's, it, like I said, it, it's life changing. It was for the apostle Paul. It was for those that, that have read this work that have come after him. And I hope and pray that even as we move forward, you know, in it, that it becomes life changing even still for us. When you look at verse eight there, he says this, he says, first, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He says for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And so, you know, as Paul, after he goes through his greeting, he says, you know, first and foremost here, and I want you to think about Paul's life and where he came from and where he's at at this moment. He says, I want, I thank God for you. I mean, Paul has much to teach us about gratitude. We're going to start next week. We'll start looking at what happens and how dangerous the sin of ingratitude is. That really every sin that you and I struggle with, every sin that we commit is directly tied to the sin of ingratitude. It's a dangerous thing to not be thankful. And so here we can see what's happened in Paul's life. I mean, you think about how grateful he truly is. You know, I, I was reading this this week and, and studying. He said, uh, uh, one article said, according to research, gratitude psychological benefits are legion. It can lift depression. It can help you sleep. It can improve your diet. And it can make you more likely to exercise. Heart patients recover more quickly when they keep a gratitude journal. And a recent study showed gratitude causes people to be more generous and kinder to strangers. Another study summarized in the Scientific American Journal finds that gratitude is the single best predictor of well-being and good relationships, beating out 24 other impressive traits such as hope, 
and love and creativity. We can never downplay the power of gratitude. It's been well said, happiness does not lead to gratitude, but gratitude leads to happiness. Would you agree with this statement? It's impossible to complain while you're busy saying thanks. Would you agree with that? It's impossible to complain while you're busy saying thanks. Remember, you know, when Paul writes this, where's he at? Is he on a beach in Bora Bora sitting in a lawn chair, you know, drinking lemonade? No, he's in a Roman, he's, he's in a prison. He's in a prison in Corinth. And, you know, we, we studied the book of Philippians, right? And, and here's Paul, you know, your circumstances, you know, don't rob you of your joy. They, they can, but they shouldn't because if we have true joy, our joy comes from what? Not from circumstances, but from a relationship. It's rooted and grounded and founded in Christ Jesus. Paul understood so much. Like I said, that, you know, if you want to really grow in the knowledge of the gospel, we, we look at his life and we look at the impact that, that the apostle Paul had. I think of Jesus' words in, in Luke's gospel in chapter 7, verses 36 through 47. You remember this story about the woman who came into the Pharisee's house and a Pharisee had asked Jesus to, to eat with him. It says, and he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet and behind him weeping. And then she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know of what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And says, and I love this because Jesus is a prophet. And he says, and he you know, knew exactly what, what the Pharisee was saying. He says, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing which they could repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them would love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And this is really the key to the whole thing, and it really captures, I think, when you study the Apostle Paul's life, and I, and I hope that it captures yours and mine. He says, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. It was D.L. Moody who once said, he said, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man who's fully consecrated to him. He said, by God's help, I am to be that man. You know, that was Paul's heart. Paul saw himself, you know, as he said the chief of sinners, but man, uh, he, you know, he was doing everything in his power to forget the things which, you know, lie behind and press on to the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus. And you think about, you know, in Acts chapter nine and his conversion in, in Acts chapter nine, verse one, it says this, it says, then Saul, because you look at his past, you go, here's a guy that is so grateful now. I mean, like I said, he, he's, he doesn't even know these people other than what he's hearing about them. And yet he takes the time to name them by name. And, and he's, he said, I'm longing to be with you that I could share the gospel with you. I want so much for you to know the truth of the gospel, for it to transform your life. And he's basically saying, like it's transformed mine. And yet, like I said, when you study this, you, you get that. You understand where he's come from, this transformation that's taken place in his life and why he says, you know, that I, I have made myself a doulos. I've made myself a servant. I've made myself a slave of Christ because it's in that relationship that I've been set free. Free from what? Legalism, free from bitterness, from hatred, all the things that we can know when, when we have a heart that's not filled with gratitude. He says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He hated the church. He hated Jesus. He says he went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. And you think about, you know, I mean, you're talking, you know, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. And he's, he's, he's so 
hell-bent that he's willing to go to other cities and drag them back. This is how, how passionate he is about his religion. It says, so he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he didn't care. He says, and he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, it says, he came near Damascus and said, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. It says, then he fell to the ground. And so you have to think about, you know, get into this story and start thinking about what, what took place here at his conversion. It says, and this light shone from heaven. It says, then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, and I look at Paul's response. He says, and he said, who are you, Lord? He says, then, I, then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goad. And so Saul says, he trembling and astonished. Look what he says. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He recognizes him as Lord. And he says, what do you want me to do? It was in this moment where Saul became Paul where Saul met the right master. And what does he do? He opens his heart to what God has for him. Would you agree that a, a godly person is a grateful person? I mean, here's Paul going, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Godly people, church, understand this. Godly people are thankful people. You think about the days in which we live in. Now, because you think about this, Paul is thanking people who were mean to him. Imagine somebody slapping you in the face and you go, and I thank my God for you. Because why? Because he saw God and the sovereignty of God. Think about this. The sovereignty of God. He said, I was called from my mother's womb. So he sees everything in his life has worked to bring him to this end. It wasn't just when he got saved. It was everything about his life. It's not, you know, you just start picking pieces and you go, oh, we won't talk about that or we won't talk about this. We, we look at our, our society today and, you know, you, you see all these news reports that come out and they go, oh, we did an interview with so-and-so, but we didn't want to share with you this information because it wasn't favorable to our position. So we withheld it from you. But scripture doesn't do that. It's like warts and all. He brings this out. And yet you look at Paul's heart. He goes from one that says, who's breathing threats there in Acts chapter 9, right? Somebody who's bitter, who's angry, and he has an encounter with God. And he sees himself for who he is. It's not just little cute verses. You go, for the wages of sin is what? Death. And for all have what? For all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you recognize it about that about yourself? Paul did. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Paul's going, if I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. I deserve hell. And God, who's rich in his love and his grace and his mercy, he goes, he reached down, as it were, from heaven. He knocked me off my high horse and he saved me. He saved me. And it changed his life. It transformed him, not just once, but it began that process. And you think about in scripture, you know, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, look what he writes. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 16, Paul again, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying what? Always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 3.9 and 10, what, for what thanks, he says, can we render to God? He's, what more? He's like, what more can we thank God for you? Like, help us. Tell us things that we can thank him. He says, for all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Do you get the impression that Paul loved people? Do you think he cared about them? Yeah, it's pretty evident. Second Thessalonians 2.13, he says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved 
by the Lord because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Over and over and over, Paul is going, I am thankful for you. That's when you know God's got a, a hold of your heart. Because of grace and peace, Paul saw people differently. He, like I said, been a persecutor of the church, and now we you know what happens. <laughs> I mean, man, he, now all of a sudden he's proclaiming the gospel from persecutor to proclaimer. It's amazing. You know, it's so easy, you know, for us to be so, you know, people say it all the time. They go, well, I have a, I have a private faith. I have a, it's just, my faith is just me and God. You know, we come up with our, our own methodologies as to why we don't care for people, why we don't reach out to other people. You know, well, God hasn't given me that gift. And you go, no, it's called self-centeredness. It's not a gift. It's something that he's called us all to repent from. Uh, we, we can all in one sense do really good on our own. You know, me, myself, and I, right? And you go, yeah, unholy trinity. That's what you can call that. I mean, you repent of every other sin, but, you know, but the sin of selfishness, see, we tend to accept that about ourselves because we like comfort. We, we like doing things. And yet, so we'll just say that. You go, well, I, I don't get involved with people. I don't, I don't do that because, you know, I don't feel comfortable. I don't. You go, I don't think Jesus felt very comfortable from the cross, do you? I don't think Paul felt very comfortable in prison, do you? You go, no. But he understood that he had the, he had, God had saved him through the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And unless people hear the gospel, guess what? They're going to die in their sins. You're going to hear it from all kinds of pulpits here in the last days that it really doesn't make any difference what you believe because Jesus died and almost in the sense it'll be because Jesus died, therefore everybody's saved. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Think about all the people that we pass on a day-to-day -day basis that have no knowledge of the truth. Like I said, and picture yourself standing there with the knowledge that the Twin Towers are going to fall. And you're standing outside, you know, the building and you're watching, you know, men get dropped off from work or women getting dropped off by their husbands at work, giving them a kiss goodbye. And you know it's going to be their last kiss, but you just let them go because, you know, you, you don't feel comfortable talking to people. I, I think you get it. Paul's going, man, something happened in his heart. He said, you know, I, I've... I've we're all going to serve somebody. And he goes, and what I've determined to serve is, is Christ. John 15, 13, Jesus put it like this. Greater love is no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what you do. I mean, Paul in Acts chapter seven, I mean, stood by as Stephen. Think about this. The things that, that got into, the, into Saul of Tarsus's heart, right? So he's calling for, the death of believers, right? He's the coat rack, we could say, for, for those that would kill Stephen there in Acts chapter 7. And look there in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 57, it says, and then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at him, at Stephen, with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he, and this is what Paul is looking at. This is what Paul is seeing here. This is the, this is the testimony for Jesus. See, it's not easy. It was very painful. Actually, he, you know, Stephen becomes the first martyr we read about in the book of Acts. It says, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, look what, he, look what he's saying. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It says, then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. Not, not what you see in the world today, the bitterness and the anger, right? The resentment. You know, we're, we're back to almost like Old Testament, you know, even for the church today, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Instead of overcoming evil with good. But the question that begs to be asked this morning for you and for me who are here, those that could be watching at home, are you thankful? Are you thankful to God for people? 
Verse 9 goes on, he says, For my God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. I mean, think about what, what is he saying here? That, that gratitude isn't just a, a warm, fuzzy feeling. It, it's moved into action that, he, that he's praying. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, you're, you know, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, that we would share our lives together, that we would pray for one another, that what? People would be healed. I mean, those, if you think about this, those who you're thankful for are those that you'll pray for. That's why sometimes, you know, people go, I don't want to pray for them because, you know, you'd rather be mad at them. You know, it's hard to stay mad at somebody that you pray for. You know, when we start praying for people, you start actually doing what? You start falling in love with them because you start seeing what God sees. See, Paul didn't just consider people, but he prayed for people. There's a huge difference that takes place when we're thankful. You know, one of my favorite worship songs, you know, from years ago, I still find myself, I, I, sometimes I, I, let me just, how do I say this? I'll never be able to sing until I get to heaven like John Jones. But every once in a while in my shower, it's the acoustics and I, I will sing like a hymn and, and, and it actually, it isn't just a joyful noise unto God. It actually sounds okay that I can even listen to it, you know, myself, but no, it's an old Don Moen song. You guys, anybody remember Don Moen? That'll take you back to a long, long time ago. But you remember the song, give thanks, you know, give thanks with a grateful heart, give thanks to the Holy one, give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, you know, his son. You know, now let the weak say what? I am strong, let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. I love singing that in the shower. It sounds good. And, but I, but I, that's interesting. You know, I find myself, that, that song, why does that song? Because I, I know how ungrateful that I can be. And the Lord just quickens that to my mind. I'll just begin to sing it. Sing it in the sense ministering to myself. It's like, you know, singing in tongues, right? Why do we speak in tongues, the Bible says? To edify ourselves. So when we come to church, isn't to speak in tongues because unless someone obviously interprets, right? Because if they don't, we're just edifying ourselves. But man, when you're at home, you're in the shower, it's a great place. You know, man, edifying ourselves. God, make me thankful. But if you find yourself today finding it difficult to pray for people, it's probably because if you're honest, you're not thankful for them. Because the people that you're thankful for, you pray for. And you think about Paul and the love that he had for the body of Christ, for the church, because of Jesus. You remember the story in Exodus chapter 17? Moses and Aaron and Hur they're fighting the Amalekites, you know, and it says, you know, verse eight there, it says, now the Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. It says, and Moses said to Joshua, choose up some men, go out and fight uh, with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that the, at Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand uh, down, Amalek prevailed. It says, but Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him. You got to, you know, you picture this. And, and uh, they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. You, know, you think about that, bearing one another's burdens. You know, that's what Paul would write to the church in Galatia. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of God. Verse 10 goes on, it says, making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. It says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. Like I said, you know, Philippians 1.8 says, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Like I said, those that you long for, you will pray for. 
Romans 9.3 puts it like this. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. I mean, think about the love that Paul has. I mean, we're talking about enemies, right? Paul's going, but I, I love Israel so much that I would, I would offer myself to God as a sacrifice. That I, Basically what he's saying is I'd go to hell if I could only know that Israel would be saved. Now, obviously, God didn't honor that request the same way that he didn't honor it in Moses' life. Moses prayed the same thing. And you think about the, the people that God chooses to use. Paul wasn't perfect. Moses wasn't perfect. But remember, you know, in, in the book of Exodus, you know, you find, you know, in Exodus 32, in the golden calf, you know, God says he's going to blot, you know, Israel out of, out of his book, right? And, and Moses goes to God and he says, if you're going to blot them out of your book, then blot me out too. That willingness because of your love, your love for people. I, I'm always reminded of that story. And I don't know if it's true or not, but I've always loved it. It was during World War I um, where soldiers obviously, you know, were wounded, some mortally, you know, in battle. And there was two best friends that were serving there in World War I. And uh, one uh, was wounded, the, the other crawled into a foxhole and his commanding officer, you know, uh, told him, you know, to stay there. And he said, you know, I've got to go. He said, my friend, my friend is out there on the battlefield. I can't, I can't leave him there to die. And he said, he's, he's dead already. And he said, you know, I command you stay here. And well, he didn't, he, he disobeyed an order and he crawls out, you know, through the field, gunfire all around. He gets to his friend, his friend is still alive. He's mortally wounded. He's dying. He takes his friend in his arms and he looks at him. And all his friends said to him before he, he passed away, as he said, I knew that you'd come. And he crawls back into the foxhole and he goes, I told you he was dead. He goes, was it worth it? And he goes, oh, was it worth it? He goes, so what did he say? And he said, he looked at me right before he died and he said, I knew that you'd come. That's what love does. It risks it all. No greater love is any man than this than a man would lay down his life for his friend. We see it in Moses. We see it in Paul. And as we go along, you know, because again, he's going to get it into some bad news, Okay. Paul's going to, as we get into next week, you know, he's going to start sharing bad news. For there to be good news, there has to be bad news. Which reminds me, you know, one of the reasons that the world rejects the church in so many ways is because of the legalism that, you know, can so permeate the church. You think about that. You ever heard the expression, most of you have, because I've said it numerous times if you've been here for any length of time. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And as Paul's laying this out, what we need to understand is it's, there's no question when you read the New Testament, Paul cared tremendously about people. He was very thankful for people. I read an article this past week about a family that lived in the projects, and it was really interesting that there's a family that was pretty well to do in the sense of, you know, lower middle class, you know, we would call that. And they lived in the projects. And the girl noted, she said that her mother went and asked, told her to go ask the neighbor if they could borrow some salt. So the little girl borrowed salt and she came home and uh, she said, Mama, can I ask you something? And she said, yeah, honey, what, what is it? And she said, why did you ask them for salt? She said, we have plenty of salt. And she said, oh, honey, she said, I knew that we had plenty of salt. And she goes, and I knew that they had plenty of salt. And the reason I asked them for salt was it gave us an opportunity to demonstrate that we needed something from them. And they had an ability to meet a need in our family. And she goes, that which then gives me the ability now to go to them and talk about something which for her was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thought, boy, that, that talk about perception, talk about earning the right to be heard, talk about valuing people and caring and developing a sensitivity, you know, towards what God might have us do. And you go, and we see that in the, in the apostle Paul's life. And you go, why? And you go, because look where he came from. Look at the hatred. Look at the bitterness. Look at the anger that filled his heart. And then to know that God reached down from heaven, not because Paul was something special in the sense of, you know, that he was this, you know, like some people go, I, I was always a really nice person, you know, you go, if that was the case, then you go, why did Jesus die? He died because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none 
righteous. No, not one. God had knocked Paul off of his high horse. We'll wrap it up with this. He says in verse 12, he says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. You know, Paul was the kind of person, you know, I like that Tim McGraw song. He said, you know, I, I, I desire to be a friend that a friend would want to have. It's pretty simple. Just think about the type of friend that you would really want to have and then ask yourself, are you that kind of a friend? Said, Paul was in prison. He says, and now I, he says, verse 13, he says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also as among the Gentiles. First Peter 4, 9 and 10, he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling as each one received a gift. You know, some people are good servants, but man, they grumble about everything. They hold it over. They, they, they make sure that, you know, that they're better than you, or, you know, at least they uh, make you feel like they're better than you in that. It's definitely not the gift of hospitality. You know, Paul had the gift of hospitality. He says, as each one has received a gift, he said, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, share your life. You know, like I said, we can't say that we're, we're loners. There's no loners in the body of Christ. I love this, this statement. I've read it to you before. It says, if you can start the day, I'm going to close with this. He says, if you can start the day without caffeine, if you can get going without pep pills, if you can always be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can overlook it when those who you love take it out on you through no fault of yours when something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, and if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct him, if you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can honestly say that deep in your heart that you have no prejudice against any creed, color, religion, or politics, he says, then my friend, you are almost as good as your dog. Almost as good as your dog. And that's why Paul would say in verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor to both Greeks and barbarians, both the wise and unwise. Paul said, you know, I owe it to you to love you because God loved me. Isn't that the same for you and for me? We owe it to one another. We owe it to this world to love them because God loved us. May God help us this week as we go out, you know, that we would care enough. And this is where, like I said, the good news and the bad news all come together is that people need to understand that they are dead in their trespasses and sin, but it's Jesus Christ who makes us alive together with him. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. Amen. Nobody's going to work their way into heaven. They're going to come the same way that we all come. The ground at the foot of the cross is level as we come to him by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that this week as we go out into this world, God, as we spend time in your word and in prayer and in fellowship, that God, you would help us to be a grateful people, a thankful people. Because God, if we got what we deserve, truly, if we could comprehend that, if each and every one of us got what we deserve, God, we would be cut off for all eternity from you. But Lord, again, while we were still sinners, you died for us. You took the initiative, God. You didn't respond that after we, you know, again, we sometimes will help people if they'll just, you know, humble themselves and ask for it. But to think that even when we weren't looking for you, God, you were looking for us. May you give us that kind of heart like the Apostle Paul. We know that, God, you, you can do it. You, you, again, it's not just comparing ourselves to you, but we can look at the Apostle Paul and we can look at his life and we can relate to many things about it. God, we can be so anti-Christ. And then, Lord, in one moment where you open up our eyes, God, to the truth, that God, a transformation takes place. We aren't who we once were. And God, for each of us today, I pray 
that, Lord, this week we would grow more and more in the knowledge of your Son, that that life that we have in Jesus would change us from glory to glory, that, God, we would truly, truly surrender our hearts in every way, shape, and form to all that you have for us. We love you. We bless you. We praise you today as we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's children said amen. 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 We'll send you out with song. You know, if you need prayer for anything, if you're here today and you've never uh, made a profession of faith uh, to Christ and you need to do that publicly, 